Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Warm Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life, and I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. All right, I'm going to stand before you now, and I'm going to hope that the preachers in the audience learn a very valuable lesson that I did not learn, and so you can learn from my mistake. When Lee uh, finally sent me the schedule, it was a little bit late, but when he finally sent me the schedule, I did not read it carefully enough. And so once he left it up to me about which way to go with these uh, topics, oh, that's up to you. Then I chose a heart of victory. I chose David and, and Goliath. And dummy me, I should have looked up in the schedule and saw that before lunch, Lee was going to teach a breakout class on facing giants. <laughs> so this is David and Goliath part two. But if you were a guy and in here for that first lesson, uh, Lee did a great job, had a very insightful, enjoyable study of David and Goliath. And all that I can hope is maybe something we'll say and, and cover in my outline will be maybe complementary to what we've already studied. Let's talk about what it takes to have a heart of victory, okay? Uh, Four things, letter A, write this first one down. A heart that was convicted of God's truth and God's cause. Let me tell you, in my opinion, one of the things that is killing us in some congregations of the Lord's church. And that is, too many of our members are not convicted. Amen. Actually convicted that this is right, that is wrong, this is truth, that is error. God is pleased with this, God is not pleased with that. And for too many of us, and I hope it's nobody in here, but for too many of us in too many places... The religious world is way too gray. It's way too gray. And with God, there's a lot more black and white. Amen. There's a lot more right and wrong. And this coming up with a big gray area where I'm all right, you're all right, she's all right, everybody's all right. That's not true. Amen. That's just not true. And, and what really stands out to me as I open my Bibles with you now to 1 Samuel chapter 17 is that on this occasion, younger in his life, David had a heart that was convicted. He he was convicted that the God of Israel was the true God, that Israel was his people, and that God's cause was right. He believed that, even at a young age. Uh, Pick up with me at verse 26 here in chapter 17. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? And now look at this last part. And taketh away the reproach from Israel. He says God's people are being put to shame here because of what this giant is doing and saying. 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? If I could amplify that in my mind, I would say David's asking, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who is shaking his fist, as it were, in the face of our God? Who does he think he is that's doing that? And what's evident to me is this bothered David. It bothered David. And and, and there's some things, there's some members of the church, I'm afraid, that you you could just have sin and error of every stripe, and it doesn't seem to bother people. But but, but if it's it's a sin against God, and if it's contrary to His Word, it ought to bother us. It ought to bother us. And it bothered David. Verse 27, And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Things like, you know, Saul will give you his daughter, your family will be tax-free, things like that. And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride. And the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Have you ever heard the expression that the, uh, the hit dog will bark first? I believe that the reason Eliab is so mad with his younger brother David here. Is because David's seeming concern. David's apparent courage which we'll talk about in a moment. It makes Eliab look bad. For 40 days and 40 nights, Israel has stood on one side of the valley. The Philistines have stood on the other side of the valley. And they've watched this man come down and shake his fist, as it were, in the face of God. Challenge God's people. Put them to shame and reproach because they're all over there scared to death. And now Eliab's little brother David comes up and he makes Eliab look bad. And so Eliab lashes out at David and says, Oh, who do you think you are? You know, you've just come down here to see the battle. Verse 29 is my favorite verse in this chapter. And that's 58 verse chapter. This is a long chapter. A lot to choose from. Verse 29 is my favorite. And David said, what have I now done? Why are you getting mad at me, brother? Is there not a cause? Folks, I want to shout that from the rooftop sometimes. Is there not a cause? Christ died on Calvary, Christ established His church, the church of Christ. You tell me, is there not a cause? Is there not something to stand up and to preach? Something to say? Something to share with people? Is there not a cause? And David's a young man and he had that conviction. He was convicted of God's truth and of God's cause. Now, back up with me earlier in this chapter to verses 8 through 10. And I want you to see something rather subtle that I have missed for 20. I've been preaching about 26 years. I've missed this. But I just saw it recently. Back up to verse 8. And Goliath stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. There's something there you don't need to miss. In the pagan, in the pagan unconverted mind of this Gentile, this Goliath, Israel was no more 
than servants to a human king. Goliath was leaving God out of the equation. In Goliath's mind, Israel was no different from the Edomites, no different from the Ammonites, no different from the Moabites. In in Goliath's mind, Israel was just another country serving their own king, in this case, King Saul. David knew better. David respected King Saul. I'm not saying we shouldn't respect our earthly rulers, but Israel was a theocracy. Israel was God's people. And David knew that. But to Goliath, he was leaving that out of the, out of the equation. God, you know, this is not about God and, and the people opposed to God. This is about your nation and our nation, not to David. To David, it was about God. It was about God's people. And listen to me. When it comes down to right and wrong, and when it comes down to truth and error, it's about the church. It's about Christ. It's about God. We've got to be convicted. We cannot let... People in the world look at us and think that we really don't care. Because that's not right. We should care. Jesus died for what's going on here. Jesus died for the church. We've got to care. David wanted the world to know that there is a God in Israel. Move down later in the chapter now. Verses 45 through 47. Right about the time Goliath's about to be killed. Some of the last things that Goliath ever heard on this side of eternity was this. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of Yahweh, of hosts, Yahweh, God's personal name if he had one, that the name that identified him as the God of Israel. I come to thee in the name of, of Yahweh, of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This is about God, David said. This day will, I, will the Lord, Yahweh, deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Now underline this last part of verse 46. David says, I want all the earth to know that there is a God in Israel. And you know what? His name's not Dagon. <coughs> That was the God of the Philistines. Dagon. His name's not Dagon. For that matter, his name's not Chemosh. It's not Molech. It's not Baal. His name is Yahweh. Jehovah. He's the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He's the God of Israel. Verse 47. And all this assembly, David says, before this is over with here today, all this assembly, Philistines and Israelites, shall know That the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now, I don't like David in 2 Samuel 11. I love David right here. I'm loving me some David in these verses. Because this is a young man that's convicted. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want to see in my children. That's what I want to see in my congregation. That's what I want to see in me. Conviction. That this is about truth, this is about God, this is about the way it is. Do we see that in the Apostle Paul before we leave this point? Man, we do. You come over to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, and Paul was was supposed to wait, I think, for Timothy to come back to Athens. But the Bible says that Paul's spirit was moved within him while he was waiting there at Athens because he saw the whole city given to what? 
idolatry. He couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it. And, you know, they've got all these altars lined up through Athens. This God, that God, this God, that God. And then all the way down at the end, as it were, to the unknown God. And later on in this chapter, Paul's going to use that altar as a springboard, as an opportunity. He says, well, there's one unknown, all right. There's one you don't know. And it just so happens he's the God. He's not a God. He's the God. You think Paul was convicted of that? Absolutely. And that's the way you and I had better be as well. That's why in Romans 1 he would say, I am ready. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Amen. I'm a debtor both to the wise and to the unwise, to the Greek and to the barbarian. And then he would say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you're not convicted of your religion, can I be frank with you for a moment? It's, it's worthless. Just You're wasting your time here today. I'm glad you're here. But if you're not convicted about what you believe, because you read it in the Bible. I'm not talking about because a preacher told you. Or because mom and daddy told you. You're convicted because you find it in book, chapter, and verse. It's the word of God. If you're not convicted, then really why are we here? We're wasting our time. Folks, I believe it. I believe it. David believed it in his day. Let me, let me throw this in. This is not on the outline. But I want to throw this in. You do a word study in the New Testament. Now we're moving from Hebrew to Greek. You do a word study in the New Testament on the Greek word for truth. Aletheia, something like that. I'm not a Greek scholar and I can't pronounce it very well. But aletheia or something to that effect. Do you know what the root, I say the root. Do you know what one of the basic ideas inherent in the Greek concept of truth is? It's real. Reality. Reality. That's important. What the Bible tells you about how God views things, that's how God really views things. This is sin. That means that there is a God. It's real. He's real. God's in heaven. And that God's looking down on whatever that matter is that's sinful. And God's not happy. It's real. It is contrasted to fiction. It's contrasted to make-believe. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul calls God the true and the living God. God's not, the real God's not made up. The real God's alive. The real God has really, uh, he has real stances on all these positions. And what God says is right is right. And what God says is wrong is wrong. And it's real. Amen. So real that you and I need to be convicted of it. All right, letter B, another characteristic of a heart of victory. And that is David had a heart that was strong and courageous. It was strong and courageous. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth. You, you know, you're just a young man, David. And he, a man of war from his youth, from the time he was your age, he's been killing folks. And Saul's afraid that he's going to kill David. David, you can't do this. 
And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. I'm like Lee said earlier, if a lion comes and gets something out of my flock, I'm not going after the lion. (laughs) Not without a big gun. And David didn't have a big gun. David, as a young man, David was courageous. You know, we, like David, we have work to do. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, the Bible says we have been created. We might understand it. We have been recreated, converted. We have been recreated unto good works. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, In the work of the Lord. The word abounding means do all you can. Too many members of the church have the attitude, I want to do the least that I can. Preacher, what's the least that I can do to squeak into heaven? You know, that's really what they're thinking is. And that's not biblical. Amen. And I'm afraid with that kind of attitude, they're not even going to squeak into heaven. Because it's just not biblical. Like David, we have work to do. David had work to do. It it was work with the flock. It took a degree of courage with the flock. But you know, this is a form of work with Goliath. And it takes a lot of courage to face this giant. But David does it. Courage is a choice. Something I want my children to understand, and I've tried to instill it in them at times, probably not as often as I would like, But I want everybody around me really to understand, courage is not the absence of fear. It's not. When the Bible says to be courage, that doesn't mean, or courageous, that doesn't mean you're not going to be fearful, apprehensive. I've been in situations in my preaching, I've gone into scenarios where I knew there was a pretty good chance that the message I had to bring might not be well received. Okay? I'd be lying to you if I told you, well, I wasn't apprehensive in the least. You know, I I wasn't scared at all. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is making the choice that I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, even though I might be scared. I might be scared, but I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. That's why in Joshua 1, 6 through 9, God would charge Joshua as the successor of Moses. You and I, I dare say, can, cannot really imagine what it would be like to be in Joshua's shoes and to have to fill Moses' shoes as Moses' successor. And God tells Joshua over and again, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid. Be strong and courageous. Joshua, I'm with you. I'm with you. I want you to do what I tell you to do. Courage is a choice. What a black eye it was on the people of God that for almost a month and a half, 40 days, they had stayed on one side of that valley of Elah, Philistines on the other valley, and basically morning and and night when Goliath came down and made his little tantrum or his little fit, that Israel stood up on their hill quaking in their boots, <laughs> quaking in their sandals, so to speak. That was a black eye on God's people. They shouldn't have acted like that. 
And then you have this young shepherd. We say shepherd boy. Lee's, like you said this morning, I believe he's a young man. This young shepherd man shows up and he goes out and does what somebody should have done. Somebody should have already done this. Didn't have courage. God give us hearts that are strong and courageous. Let her see. The next thing. The heart of victory was a heart that was confident. Confident in God's victory. And this is a wonderful thing here. And, and I try to get teenagers especially to understand this. Young people. I want them to understand this. Is that yes, right now especially it is hard sometimes to live the Christian life. At this time in your life it can be really hard. Because there's people around you that are tempting you. People who want to pull you away. People who want to get you to do bad things, wrong things. But what I try to get young people to understand is, is that if you will say no and mean it, and you, the expression we use is, if you'll stick to your guns, okay? no, I'm not going to that party. No, I'm not drinking a beer. No, I'm not sleeping with my boyfriend. No, I'm not sleeping with my girlfriend. If you'll stick to your guns, the more you do that, the easier that gets. At least with those people around you, it gets easier because they learn you. See, they learn you and they're like, well, there's no need in even asking Cliff. He's not going to do that. It gets easier. Well, there's a confidence that comes with winning those battles. The more battles that you stand up and fight for the Lord and win, the more confident you become. Notice that's what David says. Look at verses 36 and 37. The, the reason why David was so confident that he was going to slay Goliath is because he'd already slayed the lion and the bear. He says, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. In essence, David seems to be saying, you know, when I killed those, that lion and that bear, that was just about an earthly flock. This is about a spiritual flock. Amen. This is about Israel. This is about God's people. And David says, if God protected me when I took care of an earthly flock, God's going to sure enough take care of me as I take care of his spiritual flock. David says, I'm going. I'll go do it. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. If that's not confidence, I don't know what it is. But it's not arrogance. And there's a difference between being confident and being arrogant. Arrogance it's my power. Arrogance, it's all about me. Look how great I am. Look how strong I am. Look what I did to that line. What did David say in verse 37? He said, it was God. It was the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. And he says, that same Jehovah, Yahweh, that same God is going to deliver me from this giant. Confidence, not arrogance. How can you and I have such confidence? Well, number one, God's word is irrefutable. And that's a word we don't use every day, irrefutable. But to refute means basically that you disprove it. If you refute something, if you refute an argument, then you stand up and you disprove that argument. You show the fallacy of what's being taught. God's word 
cannot be disproven. Amen. I'm here to tell you, if it could, it already would have been over the last 2,000 years. People have hated Christianity ever since Christianity got started. I mean, there have always been haters. There are people who hate Christianity. And if anybody could legitimately refute the Bible, disprove the Bible, they would have already done it. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 35 a peculiar statement. He said, the scripture cannot be broken. And you study the import of what he's saying there. He's not saying men and women can't disobey scripture. Oh, no, we do that every day, don't we? Sadly. I mean, people break Scripture every day. They disobey it every day. That's not what Jesus is saying. When he says the Scripture cannot be broken, he's saying the Scripture cannot be refuted. It cannot be disproven. It cannot be said at naught. The Scripture is right. David knew that. And that's what you and I need to know, and that will give us confidence. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But you give me the truth of God's word, and if there's nobody better qualified, I think there are, I think you can find them. But if I'm the only one there and there's nobody better qualified, I'll stand up against anybody with error. Amen. If they got error and you let me have the truth, I'm on the winning side of that fight. I'll take that fight, and I'm not even the sharpest knife in the drawer. But this right here cannot be disproven. Amen. This cannot be disproven. we got to be confident. In the word of God. Number two, the victory belongs to the Lord. You know, there's one sense in which the scoreboard's already been written. And it's like God, one million, devil, zero. In one sense, the victory's already been won. Revelation 17, 14. Jesus Christ, he's gained the victory. And those that are with him, the chosen, the faithful, and the true, that they're going to enjoy the victory with Jesus. That victory belongs to the Lord. All I've got to do, all you've got to do, is we've got to make sure we're on the winning side. That's all we've got to do. Because God's won the victory. i just got to make sure I'm on the winning side. Amen. David understood that, and we need to understand that too. Our faith, our confidence, as I said a moment ago, it's not arrogance because our faith is in Him. It's in Him. I love what John said in 1 John 4 and verse 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We'll win. Jesus Christ has won and we will win because we're on his side. All right, finally, letter D now. This is is where I want to end because this is something that maybe we might miss. The heart of victory is a heart that considers... God's people. The old saying is, no man is an island. Have you ever heard that? No man is an island. And then I've even heard preachers get up and say that if you go to heaven, you're not going to go by yourself. Okay? That's something to think about. You know, I, I don't know how far I would take that, but there's, there's something in that you need to think about. If you go to heaven, you're probably not going to go by yourself. You're going to take somebody with you. Okay. With those ideas in mind, if I'm going to win God's fight, I've got to be considerate of you guys. You're God's people. You're my brothers and sisters. I've got to be considerate of God's people. 
Look at this. This is something I'd missed for a long time. Back up to verse 11. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 11. Every morning and afternoon or evening, when Goliath came down in the valley and pitched his little fit, verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed. And then what's the next word after and? Greatly. It's, the Bible's not just telling you they were afraid. They were greatly afraid. Is it good for God's people to have their own king greatly afraid? Is that good? Is that a good thing? I love what Lee pointed out this morning. I didn't know this. That the most uh, frequently, description, frequently given description of Saul was he was afraid. I learned something. I didn't know that. That's not a good thing. Let me make it modern. For churches of Christ today in our world to be ignorant and not know what the Bible teaches, is that a good thing? No. Is it a good thing for members of the church to be, uh, to be fearful or intimidated by denominational error because they don't know how to answer it? That's not a good thing. Amen. That's ignorance. That's not a good thing. David looked around and he saw his own king. He saw his own brothers. He saw his own nation standing there like this. Man, what are we going to do? We in a mess. What are we going to do? And it had been that way for 40 days. Folks, I'm here to tell you, that's not a good thing. Amen. It's not a good thing. Move down to verse 24. Same thing. And all the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, they did what? They fled and were sore afraid. Verse 32 holds the key. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of this giant. Thy servant, David, I will go and fight with this Philistine. David says, I don't want any of my countrymen's hearts to fail. I don't want any of them to give up, give out, and give in because they're intimidated and scared by this giant. David says, if nobody else is going to do it, I'll go kill him. Folks, can you read this and not get fired up? Just not fire you up. Now, David in 2 Samuel 11, David is ugly. But David right here shines. David shines right here. And he's considering God's people. He says, I don't want any of my brethren's hearts to fail. Man, what, had happened? what would happen, y'all? If, if Israel had just buckled and, and given in to the Philistines and everybody had converted to Dagon. I'll tell you what would happen. We'd be going to hell. Oh, listen. Because God was using Israel to provide what? Jesus. And if you've got a whole nation that converts to Dagon, you don't get Jesus. You're going to hell. And I am too. And there's too many members of the church that are content to let the church go to hell because of error Amen. and because of moral wickedness. Amen. You can't do that. You've got to love the church. Amen. You've got to love and consider your brethren. That's the lesson here in the third and final place. Number two, or number one, every soul is precious to God. We, we can't just be so quick to say, well, you know, we lost that one. Brother so-and-so, he's, 
you know, he's in adultery now. We might as well forget about him. Or sister so-and-so, she's a drunk. We might. You can't do that. You, you can't just write people off without trying. Amen. Because every soul is precious to God. And, and somebody's got to stand up and say, look, this isn't right. This isn't right. What can we do to fix this? Loving God, number two, means loving God's people. John says in 1 John 4, 20 and 21, that if a man say, I love God and he hates his brother, John says, you're a liar. Ooh. <laughs> you know, nowadays, if you're going to call somebody a liar, you better be ready, right? Nobody likes to be called a liar. And John says, if you say you love God and you don't love your brethren, you're a liar. I don't have to say it. John said it. Holy Spirit said it. Through John. We must guard our influence and our example. I, I used to say, I said it years ago, and it, it still needs to be said. One of the most irresponsible things that a member of the local congregation can do is to willfully forsake the assemblies of the saints. I'm talking about brothers and sisters. The Lord's day comes and it's time for the church to assemble, to study the word and to worship God and they stay at home. Or they go fishing or they go shopping or they go golfing or whatever pulls you away from the worship assemblies of the Lord's people. That's irresponsible. And according to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, Hebrews writer said, And let us consider one another to provoke, to stir up one another unto love and to good works. And then the next verse says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. See, part of the reason that we are not to forsake the assembly is because we consider one another to provoke, to stir up one another. Now, some brethren come together and they stir up one another in a bad way. Okay? But what this verse is talking about is to provoke, stir up one another in a good way. To love and to good works. But if I don't even care enough to show up, I can't stir up nobody. Not for good. I might do some stirring, but it's not going to be for good if I'm not where I need to be. We've got to guard our influence and our example. It does matter. You know, my worship was hindered last week. This is just a confession, I guess. My worship was hindered last Sunday morning because I was looking for a family and they weren't there. And they were on my mind throughout much of the service. You and I can do better. And God deserves better. Amen. And if we're going to have a heart of victory, loving God means loving his people. And we need to consider one another. I tell you, David is ugly in 2 Samuel 11. David shines in 1 Samuel 17. And may God help you and me and all of us to learn things from David's heart of victory that will help you and me to live under God's grace in such a way that one day the victory will be ours. All right, thank you all.